This is Jan Cox, talk number 2517, recorded April 26th, 2000. I stand here with 30 odd pages that I wrote concerning the matter that's always been of interest to me and I assume of, to you. And each and every page I consider to be worthwhile. I enjoyed immensely writing it. Everything I have ever written down. I was going to say everything I've ever written down that I ever brought and read, but everything I have ever written down came to me spontaneously, and therefore I enjoyed it. Nothing I have ever sat down and planned to write, nor by any means did I force myself. Well, I covered it. I sit down, I spontaneously, it just comes to me, I turn the typewriter and I write it. It's all about the same subject, but it was striking me, just as I stepped up here and pulled out this fat wad of papers. It would, hell, it's 44 pages that I sat down and typed out just an hour or so before I came over here. But as I reached in and grabbed that fat stack, it strikes me to say this. Does everyone remember, he asked rhetorically, how simple life actually is or how simple life can be if you want it to be? And first, let me point out, uh, literally and physically, I normally use an example, Aborigines people I refer back to prehistoric times, and that's not really necessary. I am sure that within a mile, two or three miles, of where everyone is who is listening to this right now, are people, normally referred to nowadays as homeless, but there are people who are living a life that is down to the bare minimum. You might care to note that they are normally dismissed by the ordinary the same way that people in prison, people who go against our civil laws. What's wrong? Oh. That the general population, the majority of people is that all right? Yeah. So I can, they are dismissed in the same way that uh, people who commit acts that we that are against the common law around this planet uh, are dismissed as being not what they actually are, but as being the victims of some sort of unholy upbringing, etc. In the same way that people living a homeless life out on the street right now, as we know, they are absolutely dismissed, one and all, and I say dismissed in the widest sense, as being mentally unstable, being alcoholics, being drug addicts, and that's who you always see on television, that's who's pointed out, but I don't know whether you're aware of, well, it can't be a secret, that is not the complete population of the homeless people. It never has been. There have always been people living on the edges, absolute edges of society, and they did not have to be out under more aboriginal circumstances 
they would move into metropolitan areas or else perhaps they were born there. But at any rate, there are people right now living amongst the homeless out there on the street, as it's called, who are not drug addicts, who are not alcoholics, who are not mentally deranged. And I'm not holding them up as uh, being people who have some sort of great insight, much less that they're awake or enlightened, but there are people living a life in the midst of cosmopolitan areas who are living almost an aborigine life. I simply point this out, that it is easy to forget that you physically, and you don't have to live a homeless life, but I know that all of you, if you were in casual conversation, and someone mentioned about how complex, how stressful uh, modern life is, and you say, yeah, yeah. Without quitting your job, without leaving your house, without becoming a homeless person, I don't know whether you ever thought about it, and I'm not going into detail, but I assure you, you could cut your life down. You could simplify it greatly. I mean, in all sorts of ways. Life is simple. I am not, of course, suggesting, because I don't, I'm not suggesting this by any means. But life is simple. I mean, to put it in bumper-sicker philosophy, you know, you live or you die. That's it. People forget it, but that's how simple life is. That is the primary world. And there's very little that you have to do to live. There's very little that you have to do to live a fairly normal lifespan. Very little. What brought all this on just in the last few minutes when I grabbed this fat batch of pages that I was about to write about something that exists strictly in the secondary world. It has nothing to do with how long you live. It has nothing to do with de reality. It's all an option. It's a hobby. It's an alternative. Now, to people like me, I'll speak for myself and then for all of you, to whatever degree you identify with this, uh, my secondary interest in the so-called awakening uh, challenges any primary interest I have. I say that now. I couldn't have said that sexually when I was 17, thank God. But it certainly matches my interest in food and anything else and a nice place to live or social position in the in the hierarchy of social power, genetic mad dog doings. And yet, what I'm getting to is the whole thing about awakening is simple. In other words, it's taken me, what, eight minutes that took me less than probably eight seconds as I walked up here and pulled out these papers to what I'm talking about now. It all hit me in a flash. And that's why I decided to mention it. At one time, being alive, just living, was simple. And as I was pointing out, it still could be, and in fact, it still is. But at one time, life was simple. And to some people, it's still simple. But if let's go back and say, at one time, let's use the cartoonish serial history of man. At one time, life was simple. You got up every morning, and you had to immediately hit the dirt. You had to hit the. You had to wake up running to go find food, to go find water. 
you had to stay alert that some large beast was not going to use you for dinner or that your neighbor was not going to take something that you had found. It's that simple. You just got up and you found something to eat. There was nothing else to do except find something to eat, find some water, have sex, find somebody to have sex with. Yeah. Assuming all that happened before noon, you got the rest of the day to sleep. Or to put it another way, you got the rest of the day and nothing to do. That's how simple life is. Everything else that people do is added on and it arises from inside the head, inside the, from that area of the brain. So at one time, life was very simple. At one time, the whole idea of waking up was very simple. Whoever the first person was that decided that, that undertook this kind of activity, it was simple as can be. And it hasn't changed a bit any more than actual being alive or staying alive is simple. It is still simple, but there's been all this add-on, all this aftermarket accessories put on it, or as I call it, the secondary reality. Nothing wrong with it. It makes life interesting. What else the hell would people do if they didn't have all the secondary, mentally derived activities? But I almost sometimes look back and wonder, not the history of man, but the history of man and the history of me and the history of if you understand a view of how simple it is. That's what hit me when I reached down. I picked up 44 fat pages of things I had written I was about to read and then talk about. And it's so simple. I mean, this is sort of ludicrous. And of course, this is nothing. I've had to devote what used to be a bedroom in my house just to store all the shit I've written. It was from floor to ceiling. I can't close the door. And now here's more. Am I satisfied? No. In an hour or so, I wrote 44 more pages. And this is good shit. Except it's unnecessary. <laughs> well, having said that, I guess I'll go ahead and start reading some of it. But I... Everyone should remember it is as simple as can be. The rest of this is just entertainment. I'm still talking about it. It's not that I... All of this is about the thing. Every single word on here. Nothing is put in as a... As they call it. It's, nothing is a filler. There's no gratuitous humor. Much less sex or violence. <laughs> Every word in here has to do with the thing. Except the thing itself is just, it's just three or four words. I mean, that's it. Or if you see it, you just see it, and it's just as simple as, I don't know what to compare it to. It's like you look down at your thumb, and there it is. That's all this is. But here's another 44 pages about it. But consider it for what it is. It's entertaining. And it's talking all around about it. Constantly. It never, I don't know how to put it, it does not stray. Well, since I wrote it, I'm going to read some of it. Uh, page one. The speaker opened his remarks with a rhyme, quote, Were it not for all the words in their head, most folks' condition would be worse than dead. And from the audience, a voice asked, In what condition might that be? 
And the speaker replied, a condition wherein they would be aware of themselves as they physically are and not as the words in their heads say that they are. <laughs> and that same audience voice then asked, quote, are you saying that such people would be no more than their genes dictate? And the speaker responded with his own question. Well, what more can anyone be? And the voice in the crowd then said, well, I certainly believe that I am more than that. And the speaker then asked, and what is it precisely that leads you to this belief other than the words in your head, which are a product of your brain, an organ whose individual development, in your case and everyone else's, was specifically directed by your genes? Do you see what I'm saying? And after a slight silence, the voice in the audience softly responded, Yeah, I see, but I don't like it. End quote. Very, very few of the creatures on this planet who have words in their head not only do not like what the speaker noted, but will in fact generally refuse to ever hear such a thing said, for it contains words extremely offensive to their words. One page down. Yeah, we'll be through here in two or three hours. That doesn't sound right. It takes me an hour to write it and it takes, I don't know, I'm guessing it would take longer than that to read it. That doesn't seem right. That's for my private jokes. That doesn't seem right. <laughs> That's a little more intelligent than, well, that doesn't seem fair. At least I got over that. <laughs> Page two. Headline, a concise telling of what this is all about. Well, good. <laughs> huh? We'll see. Six billion humans, more or less, on this planet enjoy their dog running free and doing whatever it pleases. A scant few do not enjoy their dog running free and doing whatever it pleases. But when their dog is running free and doing whatever it pleases, they enjoy it as much as everyone else. It's only when they don't enjoy it is when they don't enjoy it. <laughs> so I guess it all works out. But still, the desire to awaken, to achieve enlightenment, to affect the great liberation and discover the secret are all one thing. A voice in search of itself. Few are those who undertake to reach the goal who ever come to realize that what the voice within them seeks is not outside of themselves. The voice within a person that says, let us achieve awakening, let us become enlightened, let us learn the secret. This voice is not in actual fact speaking of a something that is awakening, enlightenment, or the secret, but is unwittingly expressing its hunger to discover and comprehend itself. That is all this is about. Can you believe there's 41 more pages after that? Of course, there's another way to look at it. You probably don't want to. 
All fires can put themselves out. All unrest can quell themselves. All wild dogs can bring themselves to heal. And all questions can answer themselves. In fact, in the land I refer to, only they can affect such results. Real feet step on real feet. And the cemetery is filled with actual bodies. For what troubles the few is a ghost within them, knocking about, attempting to get a glimpse of itself. And this is what it's still all about. A father told his son, To be asleep is to be lost in a dream of words. A man asleep is he who, when full, continues to eat. And the lad asked, I assume that this eat still has to do with words, right? And the elder nodded in the affirmative. For whatever purpose a man moves, the purpose can for a time be satisfied. Not so with words. For whatever may be the ultimate purpose of a man having words, simple observation shows that the purpose is never fully served. A man can stop moving, but he can't stop talking. Everyone knows this. Everyone accepts this. Well, <clears throat> except for you know who. In response to a pleasant surprise, one man said to his said in his head to life, "Don't try to cheer me up." And life replied, "I'm not. I'm trying to cheer me up. Are you never going to catch on?" And looking up from a book, a boy asked his father, "How can you tell from the words of another if he was probably awake?" And his father replied, if his words trigger words in you that say he would probably was. And a certain man's environment spoke to him again. When are you going to catch on? It's not you doing and thinking the things that you do and think. It's us. What you think and what you do is what we combined want you to think and do. This is how it is universally. It's just that locally, that is within you, it seems to be otherwise. But not so. Words trigger words, movement triggers movements. Words trigger movements, movements trigger words, and where your skin meets the air, triggers trigger triggers. The man's environment then fell silent as it tried to look deeply into his one good eye, then spoke again, are you ever going to catch on? And a lad asked his dad, what is, supposed, what is supposed to be in between a man and the outside world? And the old man replied, indifference. If he is in our family and is insightful, then his relationship in words to life is indifference. Then in what sounded like a threat, the elder said, no son of mine is ever going to take his describable life personally, not as long as I'm alive. Sounds metaphorical to me, what do you think? Ordinary men's brains can oversee many tasks simultaneously. Not so with an enlightened man. And only an enlightened man will understand what I'm talking about. 
I say, Holmes, it all sounds a bit unnatural to me. Quite so, Watson, but if it were not unnatural, there would be no challenge to it. And Watson just gave a muffled, hmph, in reply. There was once a man who described the goal of activities such as this, not as enlightenment or awakening, but as performing intangible neural surgery on yourself. Related footnote, while conventional science holds that the brain itself does not experience physical sensation, the neurosurgery just mentioned can be completed only in an area where the brain does feel. Only those awaken who have a passion to awaken. I started to bring it up many times and I didn't know, I just finally left it as a metaphor because apparently that's all it is. Because by every account, been accepted as fact for, Jesus, at least, what now, 100 years, that the brain itself does not experience physical sensation to wit pain, because they found out that they could operate. They could stick a man in the brain and he can't feel it. But there's no doubt about this. I guess I'm just going to repeat my own metaphor. I personally don't see how anyone ever gets close to the reality of what waking up is, to seeing what's going on, without there be a absolute, there's an area somewhere in the brain that does have a passion. I kept playing with it. I cannot feel, I'm not denying that the brain is... Uh, without sensation, physical sensation, because I can't say that I can produce a feeling somewhere in my brain. Unless I'm the only person in the world that can, we're back to that. It's all you other six billion people are one thing, and I'm some, you know, somewhere in my wiring, I'm just an absolute anomaly. But to me, inside the head, inside the skull itself, you know, you can make yourself aware of some sensation of your hair, your ears, but in here, it's like a vacuum. It's like an empty space. And yet, in spite of that, I can feel a passion for doing this. And it's only that that ever serves me well. Or put it to you in another way. It's the only time it's enjoyable. The rest of the time it's a burden. At times past I thought that. Well, I felt like, well, hell, I to give up. Nobody ever woke up. Nobody knows what the hell it means. I'm wasting my time, not getting anywhere, that sort of thing. And then something would happen. I'd turn around and look at something that was going on in life or something I did and see it in a way that I'd never heard of and see without any doubt that what I just saw was a better telling, a better description. In other words, it was entertaining. And that always, to me, produces a kind of passion, even though I say it's still like a just empty space inside my head that you can't really feel anything and yet I can. It's a passion. It's not a, it's not a physical sensation. And I don't know how anyone ever accomplishes this without that kind of passion. And sometimes I don't mean anybody in particular but uh, I look at people that believe they're interested in this or some of you at times and uh, I think well is there any passion? Are they getting anything out of it? They show up. 
Of course, that, again, sometimes makes me wonder, well, maybe I'm the only person. Maybe they're not as asleep as I always was. It just takes a little bit, and they say, okay. Maybe me just showing up. I start to talk, and I see people's eyelids begin to droop. Maybe that's all it took, is just me show up, and they just know, well, somebody's still out there dying for my sins. <laughs> Figure of speech, of course. All right, back to the reading. Hey, boy, we're up to page eight. <laughs> a man sought the counsel of an investigator who was also a neurosurgeon on the side and asked him, if I complete the operation, this is reference, by the way, I talked in the middle of two pages that were connected. It was about a man who had his own description of what this kind of activity was that the goal was not to awaken her, et cetera. He came up with a new, he said that the goal was to attempt or to perform an intangible form of neurosurgery on yourself. So this is the next page, which is a continuation. The man asked the, an investigator about this matter. He says, if I complete the, that operation on my own brain, what will be accomplished? And the investigator replied, it will bring you to your indifferent senses. <laughs> I assume everybody gets it, too. Now, it's so cliche that something happened and it brought me to my senses. He said that when you perform this kind of intangible neurosurgery on yourself, it doesn't bring you to your senses. It brings you to your indifferent senses. Which I just realized I could make another worldwide, lifelong, whole new metaphysical system based on that that the whole attempt is to produce in yourself in different senses. Which has got to be one of the prime examples of an oxymoron. That the senses are anything but indifferent. The whole point of the senses is to be prejudiced. To be opinionated. To have preferences. Or else the senses would be of no value whatsoever. But I could say that the whole point of this, instead of awakening, is to produce in yourself a new set of indifferent senses. I could say that. Based on your looks, I might be the only person in the world that went, I like that. I understand that. Back to the reading. One man muses, to me a most promising line of inquiry is this. If we live in the twin worlds of movement and words, can we be asleep in movements? Or is this strictly a phenomena? nine of words. He says that he has pursued this question expansively and continues to find it a source of useful discoveries. Can you be asleep? If everything we do could be seen as happening either in a world of movement or a world of words, his question was, could you be asleep in the world of movement? Is it possible? And the reason I bring it up, of course, is not for you to come up with some answer like, well, yes. Or what's that other one? No. <laughs> it's to make you, I assume you know, if you really took it seriously or sincerely and you thought about it, if you keep working on it and it goes, <laughs> and shoots you off somewhere else I have in mind. 
Back to the reading. The secondary world is a box in which are numerous attractive and non-touchable trinkets not found in the primary world. There is nothing wrong with toys and intangible playthings, but adults do not confuse them with material essentials. Man's secondary reality is solely a product of a box, a fact that the box forgets as soon as it is open and doing business. Looking at a magnificent cathedral, a visitor exclaimed, how mightily impressive, and a second visitor countered, how mightily interesting, the human thought behind such a structure, to which a third visitor responded, to me it is this, how mightily curious it is that how mightily, how mightily curious is men's lack of interest in the nature of the source of their thoughts an understanding of which would complete a certain circle and explain the presence of the structure here before here before us and the motivations that brought it into being and of us standing here at this moment engaged in, in the instant observations. The discovery of what's going on is the knowledge of the box from which man's secondary reality arises and when your attention is on any of the trinkets in the box you have no awareness of the box. And a man with no continuing awareness of the box is a man in the dark. Headline, a pithy account, recount of what this is all about. Well, good. Well. <laughs> Six billion humans, more or less, on this planet enjoy being tied to a bumper and dragged all around. <laughs> A very few do not enjoy being tied to a bumper and dragged all around, but when they are tied to a bumper and being dragged all around, they enjoy it as much as everyone else. <laughs> it's only when they don't enjoy it is when they don't enjoy it. <laughs> and that's all this is about. <laughs> and yet, I continue to read. <laughs> Page 12, another quick sketch map of the terrain. Well, why not? We're standing, we're, we're on it, we're in it, and it's in us, so why not? Another map. The brain assists in the coordinating of movement and appears to be the sole source of words. The brain deals in complex operations and can do many things at the same time. Somewhere amidst these normal complex operations occurs one whose common result a few men have spotted, found personally distasteful, and have tried to change. It has not to do with movements per se but with how they can be affected by the operations of the brain which are responsible for words. From one view, the relationship between movements and words is, for mankind itself, a holy alliance in that it raises man above creatures without it. But for, from the view of the few, it is, individually speaking, an unholy alliance and for no particular significant reason. It just is. And for those few, that's reason of plenty. A boy asked his father, when it comes to keeping your mind in its ordinary, and to me, unacceptable state, which is worse, 
thinking about yourself or thinking about other people. And his larger virgin furrowed his brow, rubbed his chin, then chimed in. By God, I don't believe I can answer that and write off. But I tell you this, by God, your questions sure are improving. And the boy beamed with delight. Then the old man added, In fact, if in your questions get much better, you won't have any. And now the lad lit up with confused anticipation and excitement. Question, if it could be known that a man knew everything, how could you know that he does? Answer, by the fact, if he'd let it show that he doesn't know anything. Being asleep and other forms of idiocy are marked by the fact that the sleeper knows something. At least some little bit about something, for God's sake. Do you fit in those general categories of idiocy? Of course, that's a trick question, because you say yes or no. So you still know that much. Ooh, it's a trick. Uh, I know that, well, I say I know. Some of you listening with one ear or one eye may take such as that as being just some sort of throwaway humor. But I could make, I could talk all night on that. The fact that being asleep and other forms of idiocy are marked by one salient. That's not true. Well, it is to me. By one fact. That is the sleeper, the person in the dark, the person who doesn't know what's going on. But as mysticism and historically call it, the sleeper, a man asleep, is marked by one. And this one is exemplary. One characteristic, and that is he knows something. And I threw in parenthetically to cover it for those of you that are not fast asleep and been struggling to awaken, that he knows something. That's the mark of being asleep. And in parenthetical, I said, well, at least he knows a little bit about something. In case you were sitting there and you thought, well, I think I know what he means by that. And I no longer, you know, I'm held captive. I used to believe I knew you know, where life is going and I knew whether there was a, I knew whether there's life after death. I knew absolute right from wrong. Just all kinds of, all those complex, weighty matters. And you might think, well, at least I got over that kind of idiocy. But you're still asleep to some degree, if we want to talk about degrees, if you still know anything. I just want to make sure, even though a bunch of you chuckled in a way that I heard was insightful. And that's when I said, does this cover you? Do, you? do you still know anything at all? But there's the ultimate trick. There's the ultimate of trying to see that the bottom of this lard barrel that we call, what do we call it? The mind. Not sure I had to be that crude about it, but notice this. My mind said it. So that's what nobody gets. This whole thing is a voice seeking itself. And along the way, it will take what appears to be any kind of abuse, insult, much less encouragement, which is all just 
I want to make up a worse mystical cliche than blowing smoke up your ass. It's hot ices. <laughs> but the ultimate trick was, I was saying, would you still know anything? If you want. See, there's the trick. There's the bottom of the barrel. It's like saying, is there still some little part of you that's asleep? Now, any decent mystic by God, no matter how experienced, if he was asked by another mystic, if we had some monk, if I'd made up a story, and that one day the master, after years of studying there with him in the monastery, called me and says, you know, you seem to be, you know, you've been my favorite student, you've been here the longest, blah, 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 I'm blowing smoke through his nose, <laughs> between the guy's toes. And he goes, I want to know one thing, I, I can see. You know, my awakened wisdom myself, I'm enlightened enough that I can reflect other people's stage, but I want to hear it from you. Just tell me this is just between you and me. As opposed to the idea of being absolutely, fully, permanently awakened, enlightened from the end of your big toe to the top of your head. As opposed to that, in some aspect, in some way, are you still partially, sometimes, still asleep? What's the guy going to say? Any decent mystic on this planet to somebody that he felt the responsibility to respond to would either say yes or no. And there you are. You're a dead man. That is, you still, there's still lard in the bottom of your bucket. You're, you're looking at the lard and you're not seeing the bottom of the bucket. But now, as always, screw the picture of a you know, head of a monastery and this guy. It's you. It's this voice, you know, it's looking for awakening. It's searching for enlightenment. We're back to page two. I don't know why I kept reading. <laughs> and it's looking for itself, and that's all this is. It's all this has ever been. That's how simple it is. Life is simple, physical life. You live or you die. This, the life of the search for enlightenment or awakening is a voice searching for itself. And it's not looking for it. It believes it is. And I say a voice, you understand what I'm saying? You. You, Buddha, Jesus, Zoroaster. A voice says, I seek enlightenment. And it is not seeking enlightenment. And I can see it as clear as hell as most people never get past that. And I don't mean just you people or our contemporaries. Most people that get involved with this, they never get past that. Because on their deathbed, they still talk about uh, how much they understand now about enlightenment, how much now they understand about their master's teaching, how much they understand about whatever, the fill in the blank after that, but it's how much I understand, they say, how much I understand about the great struggle to awaken. How much I understand about now the nature of Buddha mind. If they say a sentence like that, they're still asleep. <coughs> See, that's where it went from being simple, which I don't know how we could have stopped it, but it went from being simple to being what it is now. 44 pages a night. Because I'm just being silly. I do 44 pages. I can just take a, a nap for, I don't know what, two or three seconds. Just the same as you can, whether you look at it that way. And hell, you can write tomes. I can write whole mystical systems. I can rewrite, you know, Zen in the bat of an eye. I can see a billboard going, change your, you know, be sure and call home. 
Oh, goddamn call. There it was. I've already done. I have just no seconds. I responded to that billboard in my head, driving along my own business. We sell cars for less. Yeah, I've got... <laughs> as long as it took me to go, yeah, right. I rewrote. I covered everything that has been covered now in, whatever you want to judge it, for 2,000 years of Taoism, of Zen thinking, of the full spectrum of describing in detail what being asleep is, what it represents, how it came to be, how it manifests itself, the numerous ways in which it afflicts a man, and then the various ways in which he may struggle against it. I literally, and you do too, but I, and I'm aware of it, I li literally read, reread, reread everything that's ever been thought or could be thought about what it is to be asleep. When I looked up and it says, we sell cars cheaper. Yeah, right. There it was. But here's what's just as bad, or just as funny, <laughs> just as entertaining, is then you catch yourself, well, Jesus, there I went again. <laughs> as though now, well, I've straightened it out. At least I caught myself. And seeing after that, I can't tell you. All I can do is make some smart-ass comment like, yeah, you caught yourself. <laughs> then, then to do to yourself what you just did to the billboard, we sell cars cheaper. Yeah, you sell... Oh, damn, there I went again. That was the same thing. As you, you took your own billboard when you went, yeah, right. And then you went, well, I caught myself. Now you just went, yeah, right, to your, yeah, right. <laughs> you think, well, at least I'm getting better. <laughs> I still get no particular sign but I still say that I fear that no one really sees it when I point out because I encourage you it can't hurt you to realize that in one certain way you have not made one iota of progress not one thing has changed in your head since you started because that's really I put myself on a limb because then again I'm faced with this you know, I've, I just gave the prep. I say that, and I'll go, well, sure I do. That is, that it's me. I'm the only one. Because if I ever find that out for sure, I'm going to die pissed. <laughs> Why, out of six billion people, including you people, who are my only friends, that somebody didn't come up and say, look, I want to go ahead and level with <laughs> See, that's always makes it interesting. Why point out that I consider... Really, that it's possible that I could be the only person on the planet asleep. Then how to explain you? Not just you, but other people throughout history. Let's just say at any one time there's only been one guy. There could be more people asleep, but there's only one guy asleep that creates much of a row about it. You know, gets out and talks and writes and gets other people, and some other people come around. If what I said was possibly true, that I'm the only person who's sleeping or about awake, then we'd say, well, how do you explain you? That's why I'd ask myself. But see, I can explain that. That you people just find it, you know, it's like a movie. It's like a book. It's just curious that it's so far removed from, you know, what goes on in your head. And yet my terms, you understand what I mean by thought and you know, it, all the sentences I point out that I sometimes say that I could describe much of this to an ordinary person. They could hear the words and the sentence and go, well, yeah, I know what you're saying, but you know, what's the point? You know, what are you getting at? And so I could explain still in the, the possible, literal possibility that I am the only person in the world asleep, as it's called, and that everybody else is awake, as it's called. And then to explain why people listen to me, 
you know, read stuff, go out and actually buy a book I wrote and then read it and then go buy another one. And you say, well, why do they do it? Why does anybody read anything? They just find it curious. It's, you know, it's fiction. <laughs> Except I seem to be serious about it. I keep presenting it as nonfiction. No, I don't. I tell you it's fiction. But it's such deadly fiction. Back to where I was reading. A kid was asking. The sentence got a little clumsy. He was asking his father. He was saying, as far as you staying in our normal state, that is of being asleep, if that was the purpose. But speaking on that basis, which would be, what would be the worst? Insofar as keeping you asleep, keeping your mind in its ordinary state, which would be the worst, thinking about yourself or thinking about other people? And the father said he didn't believe that he could answer that, but that the questions that the boy was asking was getting better. And then it got to the point that said, in other words, the father was saying, remember I, of course, using the father and son as being a metaphor for that internal conversation with yourself about all of this. And so he's saying, in response to the smaller version of himself, that I cannot answer that question. But then he points out, but the question is good. Your questions are getting better. Then I point out that if a man, that a definition of being asleep would be that if a man knew something, and there's one part of you that always knows something in this conversation, that you know when you're asleep and you know when you're not. Of course, that's a lie. Because remember, when you're tied to a bumper being dragged all around the universe like everybody else, when you're tied and being dragged around, you enjoy it. You accept it, but you enjoy it the same as everyone else. It's only when you don't enjoy being tied to somebody's bumper and you're being dragged all around the universe, it's only when you don't enjoy it, it's when you don't enjoy it. The rest of the time, you enjoy it. So when a man says, well, I know that I was asleep. No. Well, I know that I am asleep. Now you know that you were asleep. Yeah, and I don't like it. Well, you don't like it right this second. But see, there is what being asleep is. That once you can think, you have, life has turned one into two. And you have a voice looking for itself, and it talks to itself. And it doesn't realize it talks to itself. You think it's you doing something. And there is no you but the voice. A man could not be asleep, no matter what he called it if he constantly could feel. Now, I want to say feel, but uh, be aware that all it is inside of him, all it is, all it ever is, is one brain. And that's all it is. Or if you want to be metaphorical, it is a voice looking for itself. What could be simpler? Being asleep and other forms of idiocy is marked by the fact that the sleeper knows something, at least a little bit about something. And this page ends up with one guy's rhyming slogan. I thought about me, I thought about you, it's become such a habit that I'm pretty well screwed. Movement comes from instinct, and so do words. 
so does words. But words seem so. Otherwise, and this, by the way, presents a challenge to understanding that few men ever meet. Uh, well, there it is again. Except I'm still in this papers tonight was sticking it inside that new pie that I baked up of there being two worlds of movement and words. Because, and this is saying, movement comes from instinct. Everybody admits that. And now I point out, but so do words. Except words seem so otherwise. And with ordinary people, are you in your ordinary state of mind? It's not just, of course, I'm being poetic. It's not just they seem so otherwise. They're taken to be otherwise. There is why the voice can't see itself. Because it always believes it's something else. When the voice is tied to the bumpers, to your bumper, to everybody else's bumper, and it's being bounced all around and jerked and dragged everywhere, the voice doesn't remember that it's looking for itself. It's only when, as we call it, generally, it's only when you come to your senses, only when you wake up just a little bit, or at least when you become aware that you were asleep, it's only then that the voice has stopped being dragged around. Your dog is back in the yard. Now you stand and you think. If you're like me, your feeling or your thoughts is, screw it. There it was again. I've got to stay on the case. If I'm going to be a full-time, a successful investigator, if I'm ever going to discover the secret, if I'm ever going to... <laughs> stabilize all of this. I have got to stay on the case. I've got to keep my wits about me, stay alert, and stay on the lookout. For what? <laughs> well, we all know what, right? No, we don't. We're idiots. <laughs> and we're not idiots. Who just said that? You think it's me saying this. There's a voice in me saying this. And it keeps going. It climbs up. It believes up in the crow's nest on these sh ships bobbing around. I'm in the bramble of other people's stupidity and their sleeping <laughs> manifestations. The slings and arrows of enrageous fortune. This sturdy, fairly relentless voice. <laughs> On the lookout. Searching. We'll look at the term. Searching for enlightenment. Seeking to achieve awakening, struggling for the great liberation. <laughs> it's one thing and one thing only. It's a voice seeking to realize itself. Not looking for itself. That's all it is. In times past, it has been called an eye attempting to see itself a foot attempting to stuff on itself, a hand attempting to grab itself. And uh, those just always intrigue me. Nothing else, just the poetic license and picturization involved. At any rate, if you're anything like me, it was just obscure enough that it was fascinating. But at times, I'd believe I almost had it. I knew what they meant. I personally... Today, and generally speaking in this time period, I find it to be more useful myself. I find it to be more indicative of how, the way I see it to refer to it as a voice. 
Because that, what else, what other awareness do you have of trying to awaken other than the voice in your head? And to listen to me. But when you're just with yourself, what does the struggle to awaken or achieve enlightenment to figure out what going, what does it amount to? What's the beginning and end of it other than the talk going on your head? Of <clears throat> that voice. But at the lowest level, at the most wasteful level, as the voice says, well, Let's go over there. There's that new book you bought on Zen or Sufism. Let's go over there and read that. And let's turn off the television and get it comfortable and get some good coffee and really dig into that. It's idiocy. But you understand, it's idiocy. This has been going on now for four or 5,000 years. And I say it more and more clearly. Most people's life, people who's dedicated themselves to this, they die in that state of idiocy. Like if I could just held on, if I could have read one more book, if I could have just met Buddha, Moses in person, somebody in person, it's that voice or that I. But to me, it's the voice, and it keeps looking out there for something. And this is not metaphor. The all wanting to awaken is is the voice in you. Maybe I'm too poetic. It's the voice. Here's all awakening is. Here's all the desire to awaken, to achieve enlightenment, is that voice in you. In you. Your voice, I don't care what the hell it is, you don't have to tell me. But if you say you're interested in this, yes, I would like to awaken. All right, here's all it is. It's the voice in you wanting to know, what the hell is I? am I? Except the voice never says it that way. The voice says, what the hell is this? What the hell is going on? <laughs> or worse than that is, why the hell am I like this? Why can't I awaken? That's why. The voice said, why can't I awaken? It's the voice treating itself as though it's something other than what it is. That's what I mean. It doesn't seem to strike you. You wouldn't be asleep. Anybody, if you could remember, all it is is your brain. That's all it is. It's not you and your brain, or if you prefer, it's just your mind. But not, see, but I've lied already when I say, well, it's just your mind. No, it's not your mind. It's just mind. When you go to sleep is, well, it is my mind. You're right. It's all my mind. No, it's all mind. It's all voice. This is voice. Looky, looky, looky. Searchy, searchy. All it is is that voice. But if you say anything about it, for you people on tape, I was trying to make a, you know, like a New York, Brooklyn... Shoulder shrug and palms out like, what the hell's going on? But as soon as you say anything, when I say you say anything, as soon as anybody says anything, as soon as the voice speaks, it has turned itself into another person. The voice doesn't realize that the voice is it. And when you realize that, that's when you're awake. And those of you who have been in that experience, think back, is that not it? You understood there's nobody home. I went, there's you, but when it's just you, you don't even think that it's me. Which is how all this stuff turns out of people that had glimpses of it, and they fall into all this lifelong verbal rigmarole of, yes, I merged with the universe. I realized that I am my fellow man. We are all one. Shut up. If you saw that, you're at one time awake, but goddamn, you know, you're back rolling in the covers. Not only rolling in the covers and the sheets, the more you talk, you're quilting new ones, or whatever you call it. <laughs> you're making new blankets. 
Well, I'm being silly, of course, because I understand why they say it. It's not a, it's just you're empty. The voice realizes itself. The voice quits talking about itself as though it's something other than what it is. Which is not the way you see it at the time, or the way, it's not even the way you see it now when I try to talk about it. It's that you quit, it's not that I have a mind. This, that, that sentence is the problem. That thought that, and I left out, of course, the adjectives, if you thought, that a person trying to awaken things, well, the problem is, is my mind, and then what do you say? That my mind is asleep. My consciousness is too mechanical. My mental awareness is at too low a level. It doesn't matter what you say. That's why there's so many systems to awaken. People come along and go, well, need a new way of describing it. I understand that. Of course, if you have a new one every day, you might finally get somewhere. Just the base, it's that voice going, well, I need a new way to describe this foolish endeavor in which I am going to become engaged. But as soon as it's an idea that, well, I have got to awaken my mind, I've got to do anything to my mind, to my consciousness, there you are. That sentence, that thought is it. That's the beginning and end. That's the history of all mysticism. I am not satisfied with my mental condition. Well, as soon as you started the sentence, I knew it. Because as easy me say now, it took me a lifetime to realize this. But as soon as you go, well, I've got, I can't have my mind working that way. Oh, yes, you can. <laughs> you just proved it. You just proved you got no idea what you're doing. You don't even have the least idea. Oh, yes, I do. I've studied 40 years in such and such monastery with such and such, you know, Swami or Yogi. Well, you wasted your time. Hate to be sarcastic. Hate to tell you. Ah, yes, but my mind is not near as much. You don't need to go any further. All you got to do is say, my mind. Think about it. Don't think about it. Or you'll be thinking, well, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Which I guess we're back to, at least my personal classical way, when we get to this point, it's, can, can you ever get fast enough? Can a mirror, if you had a mirror in your hand, can you ever get fast enough to turn that mirror around to where the mirror will catch a glimpse of itself? And that's all this is. It's a mirror trying to see itself. It's a voice seeking itself. I still like that one the best. Because it is. Whatever you, whatever you think about yourself, well, I've got to do so and so. I've got to do better. I, I've got to quit dozing off under certain conditions. I've got to quit letting my physical, the way I physically feel, affect the way that I think, affect my level of consciousness. All of that is the problem. Now, see, that doesn't even cover it. It's not the problem. Yeah, it is. No, it, yeah, it is, but it's, problem's not the word. It's a voice seeking itself. So to say I want to awaken, that's a voice in you and this doesn't cover it, but it's a voice saying, who am I? 
I guess that's about as close as you can come. Because that's what wanting to awaken is, is a voice in you. And you know what the voice is. It's what everybody else calls your mind. But it's a voice. It reads somebody else's voice that says man's asleep and he could awaken to a new level of consciousness. And your voice says, that's what I want. Okay. Except what that voice wants is to know what it is. And again, that doesn't cover it. It's the voice going... That's all it is. It's my pleasure to be able to convey that to you. <laughs> 5,000 years of mystical history. <laughs> my life up until now devoted to it. And I'm proud to be able to condense it, pitify it for you, and plus make up a new word in the process. It's the voice in you wanting to know what it is. That's the beginning and the end of it. It's all it is. And you ever see that? And not only look at my little 44 pages for the night, but you look at this history. You look at these monasteries, these communes, these libraries full of writings about the great mystical struggle to awaken. God, it's fun. It's entertaining. But I'm telling you, all it is, all it is, is the voice in you that says that they want to awaken. It's that voice wanting to know what it is. Wanting to realize itself. The voice doesn't know what it wants. It's why somebody somewhere came up with man's asleep, which is saying they could have said, if the first man had known what he was, if he had been me. <laughs> the first man could have said, instead of this, that man believes he's awake, but yet he's living a dream, but through certain efforts he can't awaken. He could have said, there's a voice in man that's not satisfied. And I think I'll call it the man's asleep. And the next person that came along that was wired up like people like us, right, went, that's it. I knew something was troubling me. I'm not fully, I'm not as conscious as I could be. Or according to this, I'm living in a shadow world. I'm living in a world of partial dreams. That my perception of reality is skewed. I am full of personal prejudices, subconscious opinions. I do not have a direct perception. Oh, shut up. But it's so entertaining, and it all sounds right. You see, because a voice, see, all of this is the voice in you. There's no such thing as philosophy. There's no such thing as a mystical work. There's no such thing as consciousness. All of these are trinkets in a box. The box is the voice. As long as the, the voice keeps looking at, the voice is looking at like its own, it's like a kid looking at its own diapers. It's examining its own poo-poo. No need to get that crude, I guess. <laughs> but it's like a voice sniffing its own aroma, its own fumes, and trying to study it. It's a voice. That's all it is. I hate to tell you, that's all it is. <laughs> but here's also what's funny is to say that's all it is, and I know it's all it is, 
and yet I sit here and keep talking about it. <laughs> and I say it's all it is, and yet all sorts of intelligent, world-famous figures for the last four or five thousand years have just filled up reams of paper, writing and talking about it. And here I am doing the same thing, and I've told you all it is. That's all it is. The rest of it is entertaining. I don't know what else to do. There's nothing good on TV. I don't like to read, so I talk about it. <laughs> Plus, it helps to periodically take a knife yourself and go, God damn. Gotta watch it. It's like, gotta watch it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just arbitrarily stop. Well, not that arbitrarily. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.